Welcome to the club no one ever wanted to join. This is Refused, the unofficial podcast of Eliasm.org. Having a tough time spelling that? It's an acronym for I Live in a Sexless Marriage. Listen to stories, articles, and sometimes the dark humor experienced by those in sexless marriages here on Refused. On Eliasm.org, you'll see much wiser people than me give advice on coping with sexless marriage. And you may see my less useful posts under the name Mirror Orchid. Until then, you've suffered enough. On with the show. This is the fourth of a six-part series which appeared on the Curmudgeonly Librarian blog in 2015. As always, the caveat. CSL is unabashedly and unashamedly a conservative Christian, and what he writes reflects his belief. Forewarned is forearmed, and if that's too much to swallow, then... Please spare yourself any perturbation. No harm, no foul, as they say. For the purpose of pronoun simplicity, while CSL is writing this series to refused husbands, wives that desire more sexual intimacy should keep listening, because pretty much everything he says should apply to their situation as well. In the two previous episodes, I presented two versions of The Talk, both written by a poster on the Marriage Bed Forum. I spoke of the necessity of knowing ahead of time just what your boundaries are, just what you feel is acceptable or unacceptable in your marriage. In preparing his Shot Across the Bow, the author, Job, decided that sexlessness would not be make-or-break issue for him. He promised his wife that he would be in the marriage whether it was sexless or not, but he did tell her that her actions of neglect were damaging to the heart of their marriage. For his wife, Job's version of the talk was enough to break through to her heart and mind and bring about a change in the direction their marriage was heading. For others, it might not have been enough. I know the story of another man who presented his version of the talk along with his boundaries, his requirements for the marriage. After consideration, the wife decided that her preference for celibacy trumped any need to improve her relationship with her husband and she opted for divorce. He did not have to initiate divorce proceedings over his sexless marriage. His statement that celibacy was no longer an option for their marriage was enough for her to initiate separation and divorce on her own. Having been presented with two versions of the talk, the shot across the bow and the end of normal life, and hearing about three different outcomes from the talk, Job's, mine, and the man whose wife chose divorce over sex, I hope you can see that the talk is not merely a stratagem to use to get lucky with the wife. It is not an attempt to manipulate a wife into putting out. It is an attempt to change the dynamics of a marriage going south. One thing to keep in mind about the talk is that it isn't a first step action. As I said in the second Addressing Sexless Marriage podcast, the talk takes place after serious consideration and should come only after lesser measures have been used to try to change the marriage direction. In Job's Shot Across the Bow, he wrote this in the first paragraph, quote, I worked on this for about two years, I think. Time starts to blur here. I had many talks with her, to no effect. End quote. Did he get that? Two years and many talks? Job had been trying to communicate with his wife about their stinking sex life for some time. For him, the shot across the bow was the culmination 
of past attempts and failures to reach his wife with his concerns and needs. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment whim nor a technique to get Sarah into bed. Instead, it was an attempt to communicate clearly and completely how her wrong actions were hurting him and could affect their marriage. That said, I suggest two preparation steps. As you prepare for the talk, thinking about what you want to say and what it is that you want to achieve, do two things. Remember, listeners, CSL's intended audience is a faith community. First, pray and then engage in some self-examination. Prayer is a given. I confess that I am not too sanguine about God performing Jedi mind tricks to answer your prayer, but I do believe that it is a necessity for you, as a Christian, to approach this in a godly manner and that you maintain a godly attitude throughout. In a sexy marriage radio podcast concerning shaking up a sexless marriage, Shannon Etheridge said that the tone of the talk at its beginning will likely be the tone with which it ends. If you begin with accusations and vituperation, you will end with bitterness, anger, and entrenched positions, and good luck after that. Self-examination? Yeah, most definitely. Think about this seriously. If you were married to you, would you want to have sex with you? Are you a selfish lover? Do you think that it's all about you and your jollies? Have you decided that since she isn't going to have sex with you, that porn is acceptable? Seriously, are you presenting the best you that you can? Not that you have to have achieved sainthood here, but ask yourself, am I really in this marriage? In that same Sexy Marriage Radio podcast that I referenced above, Corey Allen tells of a husband hearing his wife in counseling say, I like sex, I just don't like sex with you. Allen commends the husband because he heard it and didn't stonk her off, getting all hurt over that revelation. Instead, he listened to what his wife was saying and realized, hey, uh, I wouldn't want to make love to me either, and changed. So, right off the bat, be ready to answer, is sex for you or for y'all? Okay, now that that's out of the way, here are eight. Okay, now that that's out of the way, here are eight interim options and actions for use in conjunction with the talk. Job hinted that he had attempted to address their marriage in less dramatic fashion prior to his shot across the bow. And this brings me to the discussion of some different ideas and methods that you may want to consider using as you address refusal and gatekeeping. These different approaches may occur before the talk, they may be part of the talk, or they may be the boundaries that are put in place after the talk. But these are just some action steps to consider as you think about what you want to accomplish. One. If you haven't done so, register as a member of a marriage forum that is willing to discuss sexless marriage and start reading posts in the sexually refused subforums. Just as there's a comradeship in misery, there is a companionship in hope. The sharing of other points of view can only expand your understanding of your situation. 2. Print out two articles by Julie Siebert of Intimacy in Marriage and give them to your spouse to read. If he, she, refuses to read them, sit down and read them to her, aloud. If, as I think could possibly happen, she walks out, just wait until she comes back and pick up where you left off reading. Do not let histrionics deter you, after all. What is she going to do? Stop having sex with you to punish you? 
Unfortunately, Siebert's site doesn't have a search function, so you will have to Google the titles to access them. The two articles are entitled, Five Dangers of Regularly Saying No to Sex, and Could This Wife's Story Be Yours? Search for those titles. As well, you might look at my post on my blog, Addressed to Refusing Wives, entitled, Lady, It's Not About You. Three, schedule marriage counseling with your pastor. Inform your wife that the marriage is not good, that it has problems, and that you believe that the two of you need counseling. Your wife may or may not accept your invitation to schedule an appointment with the pastor or a marriage counselor. In fact, she may be adamantly opposed to seeking counseling. The reason is that, for many wives, the facade of a good Christian marriage is their pride and joy, and the thought of you going to the pastor to tell him that the marriage has problems is an admission of failure and will likely bring on a case of the vapors. It is quite likely that your spouse, husbands as well as wives, don't want to admit to failure before church leadership will say no way to counseling, but I say, eh, so what? Just go ahead and make your appointment with the pastor or counselor. Inform your spouse of the date and time and tell them, I'm going to see the pastor. You're welcome to come to tell your side. And go. 4. Withdraw Romance One of my favorite posters on the old Marriage Bed Forum once said, Romance is a mating dance, and without sex, it is a fool's errand. Prior to marriage, romance, while not ending in sex, is pointing toward sex, as romance, on both sides, is the wooing and gaining of a mate. That is the looked-for sexual outcome of romance. Romance continued in marriage is still sexual, as it is part of the sexual play of a loving husband and wife. To expect or even demand romance but deny sex is selfish. But brother curmudgeon, aren't we supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church? Sure we are. But before you try to play that card, please tell me where Jesus took the church out for a date night, will you? 5. Consider withdrawing affection. After all, you were friends with your college roommates, not lovers. When your spouse imposes celibacy on you, you are reduced to the status of being roommates. So live like roommates, not lovers, as you are not, at this time, actually lovers. On my blog, I shared the story of a man who removed the normal care and affection from his wife's life. After a couple weeks, when she came to him steaming about how he was neglecting her, by not giving her her usual pampering, etc., he told her that he had started treating her as she treated him, and that unless the sexless nature of their marriage stopped and she became his lover and partner again, it would be the new normal in their marriage. As an aside, stick around to the end and I'll tell you about the Golden Rule Corollary, a creation of mine. Well, you could have knocked that wife over with a feather. She announced right then and there that if that was the way he was going to act, she wanted a divorce, but was shocked by what he did next. Instead of crumbling in the face of her threat and saying that he was sorry, he merely got out a newspaper started looking through it. When she asked him what he was doing, he told her he was searching the classified ads for an apartment for her to move into. When she saw that the threat of divorce didn't scare him and didn't make him kowtow to her, she agreed to his conditions that they begin marriage counseling together. The last I heard, the marriage was doing much better. Six. Remove and or return your wedding ring. 
I first read of this being done by a man who had been refused for 26 years. One morning, he removed his wedding ring and left it on his nightstand. His wife saw it sometime during the day, realized the significance of his action, sex had been a source of conflict for most of their marriage, and took him to bed that evening. He explained to me that their faith tradition put great emphasis on symbols and tradition, and the symbolic removal of the ring was a wake-up call his wife needed. As a result, he and his wife had their version of the talk, and it changed the dynamics of their marriage. Two or three years later, he was saying that his marriage had completely changed. I remember sharing on a marriage forum this idea of returning the wedding ring, and a man was adamant that this was wrong. When I asked him why, he said that one day he discovered that his wife had not been wearing her wedding ring for months, and that she was slowly moving toward divorce. As a result of learning this, he started going to counseling with his wife, and their marriage was changed. But he was still upset about that ring being off his wife's finger. After all, he told me, my wife had removed her wedding ring because she was starting to check out of the marriage, not because she was trying to get my attention. My reply was, so it shook you up, didn't it? It worked in the healing of their marriage, whether that was her intention or not. 7. Separate bedrooms. If nothing else, this accomplishes two things. First, it removes the pain of lying next to the unattainable, being tortured by desires that she, at this point, cares nothing for. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've read of refused spouses being tortured from sleep by their refusing spouse cuddling up to them in the night after just having turned them down for the umpteenth time. Second, it makes the statement that the bedroom is for lovers, not roommates. When you were at college or sharing an apartment, you didn't sleep with your flatmate, did you? Then why do so now? I know of many husbands who decide to sleep on the couch rather than with their refusing wives. Personally, I'm in favor of moving the refusing spouse to the couch and telling them, this bedroom is for lovers. When you decide that you want to be a lover, you'll be back. And finally, eight, redemptive separation. This is just what it says, separation, different living arrangements. This last, however, is certainly not easy, coming with a high cost to maintain two living quarters as opposed to one. Please notice that I used the term redemptive separation. This is not a separation for the purpose of easing into divorce, but for the purpose of trying to save the marriage. I know of one wife who moved to another house, and within two days her husband asked her back, met with a friend who agreed to help hold him accountable, and scheduled an appointment with a doctor to have tests performed to check out his testosterone levels. The marriage was turned around by the separation. The Wall Street Journal ran an article back in 2011 entitled, To Save a Marriage, Split Up? Which tells of different marriages that were made stronger by the couple separating for a time. To read the article, Google, To Save a Marriage, Split Up. Okay, to summarize, the talk isn't a gimmick or a trick. It is a fork in the road, a turning from the road that has been the one that you've been traveling on and start hanging in a new direction. The talk requires serious preparation and forethought, both in what is to be said and in the speaker. Okay, now for the golden rule corollary. As we all know, the golden rule says that you are to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. One day, I got to thinking about this and realized that since the golden rule is so ubiquitous, 
after all, it's taught in kindergarten in public schools, stripped out of its religious context, that everybody knows it, my train of thought continued chugging along, and I wondered that if everyone knows the golden rule, and everyone is behaving toward others as they want others to behave towards them, thus the golden rule corollary says that the way your spouse is treating you is the way that they want you to treat them. Admittedly, not standard theology, but certainly it has its own internal logic. Finally, to listen to Shannon Etheridge's wisdom on approaching the talk, go to the Sexy Marriage Radio and use the search function to find episode number 122, The Sexless Marriage. That's today's show. Thanks for listening. Drop by Eliasm.org to learn a whole lot more about sexless marriages and what to do about them. Or just find a sympathetic ear. That's I-L-I-A-S-M dot org. We're sorry you tuned in, but do it again soon. This podcast was narrated and edited by Mirror Orchid. The Addressing the Sexless Marriage essay series is written by CSL and can be found at curmudgeonlylibrarian.wordpress.com. The intro and outro music is sampled from the instrumental Drown in Thoughts on the album Illusions by X Tickerex, whose name I may be butchering, available at freemusicarchive.org. This episode of Refused was not brought to you by Nabisco's Heyday Cookie Bars, because Nabisco stopped making them in 1982. Otherwise, I'd so be giving them a plug right now. So long. You're not alone. It'll be okay. I need a better sign-off. <laughs>